just about at the halfway point of Season 5. We are back for the Sopranos Podcast, Season 5, Episode 6, Abelard and Eloise. Tough doing business with strangers. That's a quote from Tony Soprano in this Season 5, Episode 6 of The Sopranos, entitled Sentimental Education. This episode is written by Matthew Weiner and directed by Peter Bogdanovich. No wonder it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sentimental Education. This is a uh, an interesting hour here. It's definitely a much different hour than the one we just experienced with a regular around the margins, right? This is a wholly different thing. I ended up liking it more on this recent rewatch than I remember liking it. We're going to talk at some point in this episode about why this episode found its way toward the bottom of most fan rankings, why that might be the case. But I liked it a lot. And I think uh, one of the reasons that, just to throw this out there as an initial thesis, one of the reasons it might initially strike someone as a lower-ranked episode could be that we've had such an explosive, fiery five episodes so far out of the gate with season five. War in New York is building, the class of 04, all these new characters, big, crazy Tony and Chris confrontation last week. This is the first time this season the show not only pumps the brakes just a little bit in season five to sit in something a little quote-unquote slower, but it's also, by its very nature thematically, it's about the shadow that Tony casts rather than about Tony himself, which allows for a much more reflective experience. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mantini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. Sentimental education. What'd you guys think? Um, you know, it's a, it's an episode where a lot of interesting things happen and a lot of significant things happen, but a lot of the big moments feel a little softer or a little underplayed. And I'm wondering if it's because we're dealing with more even characters at the forefront, Carmela and Tony B. Mm. You know, so many of our ex- uh, episodes have been explosive because it's Tony reacting to things, right? Mm-hmm. And in the, as you said in the previous episode, it's Tony and Christopher. But now you have fairly logical characters, Tony B, Carmela, in dire situations. And while those are, you know, just as interesting to watch, just as significant to watch, it doesn't have the same uh, explosiveness. It doesn't right. have that same action feeling. I think this is a really good episode. I feel bad that I think some people don't really like it as much. Mm. I agree. I think I like it for, like, say, very different reasons than liking the last episode or other episodes that are more explosive in terms of the mob stuff happening. Um, As Jordan said, it's about two even characters. It's also a bit of a difficult and challenging episode, I think, because it's about two likable characters. One... Carmelo that we've liked since the word go the other Tony B much more recent but since the minute he showed up speaking for myself I really liked him Mm -hmm. and confronting the loss of idealism and the promises of a new life and also confronting some of their own personal failings it's a challenging watch and as you said Chris it's not so much about Tony as the shadow that he casts these are two characters in different ways trying to get away from him right and they fail yes so it's... And, and two characters, one justified, one perhaps not. We'll talk about that. But two characters who are mistrusted merely because of their proximity to Tony. Right. Yeah. Their, their motivations, their reasons for doing what they do. Good, good. It's interesting subject matter. But I think you'll agree with me, and Jordan's never watched Mad Men, but uh, this, it's funny that this was written by Matthew Weiner because this felt a little bit more like a Mad Men episode in some ways than... 
as far as just the pace and the tone and the way it kind of shakes out, it felt a little bit more like an episode of Mad Men than an episode of The Sopranos. You guys are really rubbing it in that I have not seen Mad Men. You'd like it. We'll talk know, about it. We'll see. <laughs> uh, it also helps. Look, it's easy comparison. First of all, it's the same writer. Second of all, Lily and I are going through Mad Men right now. So oh, okay. It's it's kind of it's really fresh in our minds. But yeah, sentimental education. Uh, uh, last thing before we start breaking the episode down. Uh, Jordan, you're our resident educator. Um, yeah. Do you, do you offer a sentimental education to your students? Is it? I think. Are, it's... You, are you more of a, a Tom Fisk? I'll say this. <laughs> I think, regardless of what your subject is, whether you're an English teacher or a science teacher or whatever, you're trying to teach the child to be a good person. That could mean a good citizen, a good friend, uh, a good worker. You know, there are these things that you struggle to teach. Your vehicle is your subject area, whether that's English, social studies, etc. But you're all trying to teach the same thing. You're trying to teach a person to be not just proficient, but also to be caring and respectful and to respect work and to respect systems, practices, etc. I think Wegler is a character of, like, great integrity, like, from what we've seen of him. But then, you know, some of that integrity is called into question because he does not seem to be that flexible in his regard for others. I mean, we'll we'll really get into that. Fisk represents the kind of, like, stiff educator who is prejudiced against his students, and I think for the wrong reasons. Uh, but also, it's interesting to see the institution in this episode because in terms of higher learning, they do seem to be a place that prides themselves on excellence, though I wonder how much of the child they really see. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah, coming at it from a teacherly perspective, it's it's a little difficult. I would need to know a little bit more. Mm. I will say that Fisk is probably giving AJ an appropriate grade, but also <laughs> holds some prejudices there. Mm. And I think that Wegler has the right idea about AJ that maybe college, I mean, he'll find a college that will take him probably not a student that is really set up for college but certainly it is wrong for him to ask a teacher to change a grade mm. uh, even though i've personally been asked many a time you have that's something that happens oh yeah by 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 well, I, i'm sure by parents that's a given but by higher ups in the school so i mean i don't want you to say anything that'll get you in trouble no 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 i'm um, tenured right i'm tenured <laughs> let's uh say I'm not necessarily speaking about any one of my schools. Let's keep sure. it ambiguous. But if I have a child who's struggling, and I've really tried to offer them help, and they're they're trying to pull themselves up, you know, I will do everything I can to try to bring their grade up, even if it's not on that particular assignment. I'll be like, you know what, in the aggregate, we're going to make sure you do a little better, you're putting in the effort. Sometimes I have a child who puts in no effort at all, like an AJ type, and really just cheats their way through the course and just does the minimum and is dishonest. Uh, I'm then incentivized to give them a lower grade. I have occasionally had administrators come in, vice principals and principals, and said, hmm, is there anything you could do for so-and-so? And I will very often stick to my guns and say, well, they cheated, and uh, this is, you know, a, a higher grade would not be reflective of their work in the class. And they're like... They'll give me a reason to try to give them a higher grade, and the implication is always that if I'm known not to play ball, that could be bad for me in the future. Interesting. Um, when I have been untenured, that could have meant you know something in my annual review for my job. In the times even when I've been tenured, you know there are the things they can do to you even when you're tenured. They can take away certain clubs that you're the uh, advisor for. They can make things difficult for you in other ways. 
generally speaking, if your principal or whoever tells you to change a grade, you really do try to do it. Uh, sometimes you try to add in some steps to make it more authentic, like an extra credit assignment, some bonus work, or something like that. But these things do happen, and parents do have, I think, too much control wow. uh, over the schools See, and that, the school I'm administrators. I'm glad we co- actually, I didn't even anticipate covering that, but I was curious watching this, thinking of you. I'm like, I wonder if what I'm seeing here is an unusual situation. It's or not. This, no, that, well, that's no it's, a, it's actually a very common situation. Wow. Wow, that's something. Well, let's break it down. Uh, we open the episode with Tony B. We're about halfway through season five, and he's still working at Square here at uh, Kim's Laundry. And someone steals the truck. He goes chasing after it, falls, takes a hard scrape on that. Oh, that's tough. Like that. Ew, that sound effect when he hits the pavement is bad. Well. Bad uh, knee skin there. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Rough. Uh, we have to be, uh, <laughs> as three non-Asian men, I think we have to be a little careful with Kim's uh, accent here. But <laughs> Why? What do you think could happen? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I believe he says, Blondino, why you fuck me like this? <laughs> <laughs> He's great, this actor. Right? He's great. This guy who plays Kim is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Just really funny. His vibe... I don't, I've worked for guys like this. Like <laughs> it, 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 it tracks. This is just very good. Tony makes a very interesting point. If I really was going to steal your truck, do you think I'd have to put up with this bullshit? <laughs> well, just so you know, uh, he shows him the, the gun. If I don't need Tony for union, I show you the fucking window. <laughs> so right away, tough to get away from Tony Soprano. Right. It seems deliberate to me that this guy is the boss and he... Bald like Tony. He's a tough guy like Tony. He smokes cigars. He's threatening like Tony. Um, yeah, he's supposed to be Korean. Korean Tony. There's no getting yeah. away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cut to Tony and AJ at home. Uh, we're getting a sense of how this is going. It seemed like it might have had some promise initially, but uh, this is not going well. AJ. There's just not enough structure for AJ. Right. Yeah. Tony yeah. can only. Enforce when he's personally annoyed by the things AJ's doing rather than correct parenting tactics. But they get argument with them over food. Yeah. Yeah. Like a theme with them. That is interesting. We come back to it a lot. Mm. Yeah. They, a lot of their biggest blow ups happen around food specifically. Mm. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm going to have to pick that one apart. Yeah, no, that's good. But they're funny. You know, he doesn't like the cereal and. Tony says, Tony's being very reasonable at first. Write it down. She'll go get it. They, it's Going to the store himself is not even something Tony presents as option A. That's how lucky this kid has it. Just write it down and the maid will go get it for you. Yeah. You know, they have these places called supermarkets where you go and you buy <laughs> the things that you like. Uh, when am I supposed to go? Uh, Tony calls him out for all the time he spends on the phone. AJ says, Ad coming home drunk, it sounds like you. And... <laughs> Tony eh. erupts in physical violence, pull, pins him up against the wall, pushes him. What the fuck did you say to me? You wait, one of these days I'm going to kick your fucking ass. This is funny. I'm, I was laughing. at. I know it's like a father beating up on a son, but AJ's old enough. He knew what he was doing here. And uh, I found this entertaining. Tony's showing him. What's wrong with right now? Then, yeah, huh? yeah, right. The let's challenge. Go. Yeah, right now. What's let's wrong go, right let's now? Let's go. Uh, he sits back down. <laughs> this is Robert Eiler fucking kills me in this moment. When he sits down... To eat a cereal, it takes a bite and just goes, Bleh. <laughs> That's what sends Tony over the edge. He's had it. He just grabs the bowl, dumps it. Now you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
This is not a great example in parenting, but boy, is it entertaining to watch. Uh, well, Tony's kind of satisfied with himself, too. He's kind of yeah. smiling oh, about it. Oh, as soon as AJ walks out upset, Tony smiles and keeps eating his cereal. Yeah. It's fucking great. This is a great scene. It is Livia's kitchen. Oh, yeah. And then... Uh, My note here is Carmela is showing a lot of cleavage for high school. <laughs> I think just the right amount. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> boy. Uh, no, yeah, she, the the uh, woman who plays the uh, receptionist in the office, did a good job of like, mm-hmm. oh, I know what's going on here, just <laughs> just with a quick look of her face. Yep. Great acting by that woman, especially just I know we've had very brief amount of time in this office, but I feel like maybe the casting and acting is just that good. But I feel like sometimes with situations like this, they just take over a school office and have the actual. Like receptionist doing it. It's just, yeah. yeah. It feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, anyway. Also, it's my theory that all school offices have the same women working in there, regardless. <laughs> Every school I've ever worked in, it's the same women. Yep. Yep. We learn about Mr. Fisk, AJ's English teacher. AJ has a C average. It's uh, not going to get him over the line at the schools he's aiming for. She he tosses out the idea that he may have uh, cheated on his animal farm paper that. Uh, he turned in a shitty draft, and then the next one was, quote, suspiciously cogent. <laughs> a word that he has to clarify to plagiarism, because it seems like Carmela might not know cogent as a word. There's often, it, that's part of their dynamic. In a weird way, that's like, I think that's kind of what is half attractive to her about him in, in some way. He gets to play the teacher to her as well as the yeah, lover. right. Uh, it, yeah, it, it gratifies him. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh... <laughs> Both the accusation of plagiarism and Fisk's prejudice are right. Mm. That's yes, exactly. I love Carm's defense that he spent all Saturday at the library. Like, like AJ, how do you know he spent all day at the library? Did you sit with him? That kid would sneak off and go bang Devin and tell her he was at the library all day. Absolutely. Like, who, who are you kidding? But anyway. <laughs> And then she raises the idea that this is some kind of Italian-American bias, father in the carding industry. Uh, <laughs> that, I've met this Mr. Fisk. He is a cold fish. Well, as Paul said, I mean, as it turns out later, right, they're both right. Yeah. It's one of these Soprano situations where it is both bias and also... Yeah, as I think at the end, Wegler is very rude to Carmelo. He's a dick, and he's onto something. Right. <laughs> Then the conversation turns personal. They talk about what they're wearing and how it took him an hour to figure out what to wear. I'm not sure it did, but okay. <laughs> I feel like you just wear yeah, the same fucking suit. I, yeah, this is unusual clothing for Carmella. We don't know enough about Bob Wegler yet to know if this is an unusual outfit for him, but I feel like it's pretty standard fare for a school guidance counselor teacher. I think so. <laughs> they talk about... Madame Bovary, in dinner plans, so you thought about my dinner invitation. I've thought about nothing. I shouldn't be saying this, but i thought about nothing else since. That's the thing. That book was way over my head. And he says that's why she he finds her attractive, that she's unpretentious. You're attractive. You're unpretentious. Uh, who, who, who admits that? It's, it's flirting. This is, this is flirty. Then he says something to the effect of, your husband's going to have to accept that your, your life is moving on. And she says, I'm not worried about my life. Uh, I think he's underestimating Tony here. He says that, you know, well, I don't think he's going to 
go after his kid's guidance counselor. Not to mention how that would play at the administra- at the uh, admissions office at Arizona State. Meanwhile, there's still fucking guys from Tony in Italy hunting around for Furio, should they ever <laughs> discover him. Yeah, exactly. And hit that bit... It doesn't get a laugh from Carmella, right. but it cuts to a scene where people are laughing at a dinner table. Yes. So. I don't get it. What's funny about that? Bobby Jr.'s funny. Tony B. is in the other room studying. He's got all these flashcards out. Chris and Adriana come out. They're together. The face has been put back on. These two were physically violent with each other. Some time has passed. She looks healed up. They're chatting with Tony B. We find out that he met his wife on the can... Wow. <laughs> that means something different. He met his wife while he was in the can on the internet. And uh, Chris kind of laughs at that. Like, i, I got to read that shit. I bet it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> his story is so improbable. So he met this great woman who is beautiful. Yeah. While he's in jail, putting out an ad? And he had two kids with her by smuggling his semen out of prison. <laughs> it's just such an unbelievable story. Like, whatever. But, like, wow, that's bizarre. <laughs> Uh, yeah. He's... And good advice, uh, keep your eye on the tiger. Keep your eye <laughs> on Thanks, Chris. And yeah, yeah, stupid yeah. fucking platitudes. <laughs> you should eat something. Janice made lasagna. It's not that good, but <laughs> I like that the <laughs> continuing thread that Janice's food sucks. I can't read my own writing sometimes. He... <laughs> he laments that he's on his own. He's basically doing two years of medical school on his own. Chris says, keep your eye on the tiger. But... Kudos to Tony B. He's studying hard here. Chris is dicking around, kind of, you know, assing off here, busting his balls a little bit, but trying to impart the, the wisdom and by misquoting very famous song lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to the grand return of Father Phil. Oh. He's back. Yay. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. He lost the stupid uh, goatee, uh, at least. He did. He lost the goatee. <laughs> well, we've... Uh, Clothe the needy, how about feed the hungry? That's this fucking guy. <laughs> but, like, you know what I like? The show knows he sucks. Oh, yeah. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's he's not... They're not even attempting to do this kind of thing where it's like... You know, that's... The, the show's past the point where... Is he or isn't he? Are they or aren't they? It's... No, this is... This relationship has been permanently altered by the previous events. <laughs> and Father Phil, to the audience at least, is not a likable character. And he's not going to do anything to help that reputation in this in this <laughs> no. particular scene. And it's just funny, like, the advice he gives and, like, the role he plays in this episode versus what he was trying to do with Carmela during college. It's just very, very right. funny. Well, and that also adds an, an un, an un... Look, a priest telling a woman not to commit adultery. It's a tale as old as time. It's, it's not necessarily anything shocking or unexpected. But it adds an extra deep layer of slime to the whole proceeding that this is also coming from a place of jealousy. Right. Exactly. You know, he's he's jealous that Carmilla is capable of uh, extramarital passion, and it's not at all directed to him. Right. So, of course he's getting bitter, and you can see it in his face. This actor's very good. We're never criticizing this actor, but... Oh, Father Phil. Uh, <laughs> and he gets another opportunity to eat while he's here and all this. Yep, uh, yep, yep. This oh, thing with food. just chowing down. Uh this is the first of several lines that are going to be dropped of this sort. It's part a sign of the times and also, I think, deliberate reflection of how the characters perceive themselves and the men around them. But Carmela says, I was sure he was gay, 
kind of reminded me of you. <laughs> well, you know, an intellectual. <laughs> there you go. But she's going on about this passion and how she is enjoying this and met somebody. And uh, she, she gives this impassioned speech about how alive she feels and how exciting this is. And he's just sitting there eating, staring at her smugly and says, you know, I think if you really want to talk about this, we should include Tony in the conversation. <laughs> Then just boom, the whole thing grinds to a, a screeching halt. God, why did God put the man in my life? Did God put him there? Is there a certain need you're looking to fulfill right now? I don't understand this. Didn't God put the need there? <laughs> he tells her, uh, maybe that's your sin talking. There's some interesting religious philosophy here because it's like, it, it, according to Father Phil, God can only be responsible for, I guess, the good things in your life, right? And the bad things wholly come from you. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's, it's part of God's plan that you stay with your husband, even though he's miserable to you and cheats on you and every other thing, right? But it's it's not part of God's plan that you would have these desires or that this man would be there. Yeah, it's just, it's the sort of built-in hypocrisy of religion, at least in Father Phil's interpretation, who's a hypocrite himself. Yeah. It's also a nice touchdown on Carmela's relationship with her religion. You know, we yeah. actually haven't seen that in a bit. How she do it exactly. Especially because the last episode was so frenetic and in a crisis. And then the episode before that was dealing with the kids. And then where's Johnny didn't even have Carmela. It's nice to soak in all this time with Carmela. You yeah. Know, I, I know that you're not going to get the murders and the craziness there with her. But her, first of all, Edie Falco is always a treasure to watch. And uh, oh, yeah. this character is fascinating. And I, I enjoy this the time spent in this episode exploring what how she's doing. I think like the FBI, the Catholic Church is an institution that we officially or unofficially entrust to be a corrective to these excesses and darknesses in the world, and it fails or is failing because of loss of public trust, because of personal fallibility with the people therein who comprise the institution. Mm. Um, and Father Phil being the emissary from the church, I think is a really great... Uh, example of that yeah and why as jordan mentioned we're coming back maybe carmela dealing with some guilt feelings and that's why she reached out to the invite to dinner but is re re wrestling with all these th feelings and doesn't get much of an attentive or friendly ear mm. from the priest in fact as you said probably out of jealousy he goes in the other direction and turns cold on her yeah yeah well said kim and Tony B, Kim invites Tony B to the office, calls him in. He's doing his flashcards. It's 5.15. This is still my time. Doesn't answer him. Just expects him to follow him in. And Tony B goes in with him, invites him to sit. You can see on Tony B's face, this is unusual. Sits down. He apologizes. Says it was uh, police can't found the truck. Feel free to apologize anytime. Kim explains that the police said it could have been Joyride, but he thinks it was, uh, what was this? His, his cousin or his cousin on the north, on the side. north side? What the hell's going on with this? What kind of laundry rivalry. <laughs> the Laundry Wars of North Bergen 2004. Right? Yeah. If, if this were... The Many Saints of Bergen. <laughs> if this were 2023, that would be the next series in the Sopranos <laughs> cinematic universe. Yeah. <laughs> laundry Wars. Uh, <laughs> he tells him, first one I got stuck with you, I think, shit, god damn it. <laughs> You're lazy American and, and criminal. <laughs> but 
No good for Kim. No good for Kim, right. <laughs> but your work for Kim and future, like Korean people. Mm, very interesting. And he offers to stake Tony in a storefront with a massage parlor. Says that uh, he's got a couple businesses in West Caldwell, a travel agency, shady business. <laughs> but um, his daughter let him down and is kind of doing her own thing, and but was slightly interested in massage. So he proposes they go on this big success journey. And Tony B is flattered. This is a... What could go wrong? (laughs) Big success journey. (laughs) It's a surprising turn of events, but uh, very cool. Cut to the Soprano house. AJ wants back home. This scene... (laughs) Uh, How was I supposed to concentrate without any breakfast? I got dizzy. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Uh, He wants to come back home. Carmela's like, I don't know. See why you two can't work this out. Child's, he's like, uh, stick my shoe up your ass, violence against children. Uh, oh, yeah, AJ threatens to call CPS, CPS on himself and his parents. It's like, AJ, you fucking weenie. Yeah. Right? Just yeah. playing the little victim game, you know, just the classic millennial bullshit. Shut Go up. ahead, I'll get the other shoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll send a caseworker. Go ahead, I'll get the other shoe. <laughs> no grit at all. I lo- but it's Isn't it great and so funny and real that... Tony is, like, legit offended. Like, this is demoralizing that any son of mine would consider calling an authority. (laughs) (laughs) It's really funny. There is a cool energy here. Like, yes, AJ's being annoying and stupid and overdramatic. But it's like Carmilla dealing with two babies here. It's really funny. (laughs) She was good. She played it cool. Yep. Even though she knew she had all the power. Correct. Right? Yep. Meadow walking in, family meeting, stay awake, AJ, that's a funny moment. Keep walking. <laughs> she's doing well. Uh, not much time with Meadow this season, but she's. we get the feeling she's just doing her own thing, coming home for laundry. Yeah, like you do. Yeah. yeah. And Carmela offers AJ a chance to move back home with some uh, non-negotiable ground rules. First schoolwork comes first. You're at a crisis point grade-wise. Uh, I will not tolerate cursing. AJ says, after 16 years of uninterrupted potty mouth from you people, I get slammed. (laughs) And then the more reasonable one, you know, you involve me in your life a little. This is sweet and sad that she needed to ask this, but he's a 16-year-old boy for fuck's sake. It's hard for him to understand at 16 what that really means. Involve me in your life means what exactly, you know? It's hard to understand that at 16. Mm -hmm. I think all parents want that. But they, you know, it's, it's hard to ask for that in a way that'll be understood. And uh, Tony continues the conversation after AJ goes to the car to get his stuff. I think my time over there whipped him into shape. I think you'll see an improvement. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Uh, At least his eyebrows, his eyebrows grew back. Well, thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah. And Carmela's not really answering him. She's giving him, she's being a cold fish. Just moving shit around in the fridge. Tony kind of takes the cue and, and steps out. Oh, fucking study hall again. Tony B's in the back of uh, Satrials. Vito's quizzing him. Uh, something funny about Vito quizzing him and acting like he knows any of this shit. Fine, even I know this. <laughs> Biceps. Yep. And Paulie comes in with this absolute... Whoever wrote this line, Matt Weiner, Jesus Christ. Vito, where the fuck is my Tupperware? <laughs> Get a life, Polly. <laughs> he probably God. knows every piece of... Tupperware in his house. He really is that cheap. <laughs> hmm. 
Oh, man, Tony Sirico just delivered 100% on that line. Another weird Chris quote. Uh, Fear knocked at the door. Faith answered. There was no one there. <laughs> what is Chris doing in this episode? I don't know. It's another <laughs> strange platitude type thing. I think it's just because he's trying to overcompensate, like getting back on the wagon maybe yeah, after his... Yeah. Uh, his yeah, fall he's from Mr. grace Center, last right? time. He's Mr. Zen now. Well, yeah. yeah, the advice that he gave Tony B in the last the, the last platitude was other people's definitions of you. You gotta define yourself. It's like you did a great fucking job on the last episode yeah. on that one. But, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, we got the Yeah, other point. people's de- whoa, wow, we I didn't even pick up on that. Other people's definitions of you. And that's like all he was worried about in the last episode. 100 We do we get the sense a couple weeks have passed, at least, I would say. So I Definitely. think this is Chris just trying to like Make everything okay again. This is why he's extra buffoonish in this episode. Mostly played for laughs, yeah. Mostly played for laughs. Uh, Paulie's line. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Uh, Tony B. explains that the cell phone business is like a religion of these people and drops a pretty insightful line for these characters. Pretty, you know, being an ex-con is coming out of prison is not all that different from being an immigrant. Pretty good, pretty good. And then Paulie, of course, uh, shatters it with word to the wise. Remember Pearl Harbor, <laughs> which yeah, is funny, good job. funny for two reasons. One, it's it's just it's racist because he Kim is Korean, not Japanese, and even if he was Japanese, it's not a nice thing to say. And <laughs> it's it's also ironic because one of these people is going to sabotage the other person unexpectedly, and it ain't the Korean guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. That's funny on multiple levels. What Gorilla Monsoon used to call a Pearl, a Pearl Harbor, Harbor job. Pearl Harbor job from behind. Less yep. political correct days, listeners. <laughs> yes. Thems was the days. The, the late 80s. Yeah. Carmen Wegler finishing up with dinner, talking in the car about Madame Bovary. The story is slow, nothing happens. Outside, nothing happens, but inside, she goes through extremes of boredom and exhilaration. You should try it again. Uh,. Is this maybe a little bit of a meta remarks from the show about complaints about season four? It was a little slow. Nothing you happened. Think? Huh. But it's about a woman who's going through these in, these this this rich internal thing. Uh, but I didn't read meta commentary. I, I literally just read as just what she's currently going through. Sure. Right. Yeah. Something like that. But but yeah. Um, the it it. it Felt like kind of old romanticism, I guess. Last season, maybe that maybe that's part of it. But God, when he gives her the first, he says first edition, yeah. and then qualifies it modern library first edition. So nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's a, a modern library first edition is what like forty years old. An actual first edition of this book would be in French and two hundred fifty years old. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's a wonderful thing to have in a den. <laughs> I love that line. That's so. It's such a. This, that's what the book would be to Carmela. Yeah. Uh, and the kiss happens. Uh, he he takes initiative. I have never done this. She kind of rambles for a little bit and is very clearly very nervous. It's been a while since Carmela's been in a situation like this, dating, feeling right. out somebody. And then uh, he, she says, you know, I've never done this. He says, hey, you're a virgin. It's my lucky night. <laughs> they They do it. They do the dirty. They have the sex. And we resume on this story, post-coitus, laying in the dark. Carmela's going off to the bathroom, doing what I think a lot of people do their first time in somebody new's bathroom, just looking around, poking around, seeing what's in there, Mm -hmm. what they're all about, what their reading material is. She picks up Abelard and Heloise. Yes, yes. Which, by the way, it seems like um, 
Wegler has not just read, but he's done some active reading. There are uh, passages in there that have highlights. There's uh, his own notes in the margins. And also, as we'll come to find out, because he, he very shortly describes the plot to this novel, it's a very unusual book to just kind of have around, and especially, like, in the bathroom where you do casual reading. Mm. Um, very strange. No one here has read this book, correct? I have not. No, I, I haven't either. Sorry. But at least Paul was familiar with it. Yeah. Was I? Were, Were you? you? I think pre-recording, you at least knew what it was. Well, I, I know I it in so much oh, as no? that it's okay. in this episode. Sorry, folks. Usually one of us has read one of the books, but uh, not this time. That's all right. I read Animal Farm, if that helps anybody. <laughs> and and uh, I read Lord of the Flies. And Lord of the Flies. I saw yeah. The Godfather. I know who Fredo Coleone is. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> all smiles in the mirror. She looks happy, genuinely happy, at peace. And she goes back out to the bed and asks about the book. Yes, so at least according to Wegler, Abelard and Heloise is about, so it's a, it's a 12th century novel, so we're talking Middle Ages now at that point, we're in the mm -hmm. 1100s, uh, about a uh, man and his young niece, I think it is? His pupil? Or, his sorry, pupil, a young pupil. pupil. Oh, it's, of course, a young pupil, right? And he has a sexual relationship with the underage pupil, she becomes pregnant, uh, the abbot, who I guess is con in control of their local area, their domesticity, right? Her father, uh, the abbot. Her father, the abbot, I'm sorry. Uh, castrates him as punishment. Mm -hmm. He becomes a monk and is sent away to live, but they continue to and write. She, and she becomes a nun, but they send each other these letters, love letters. love letters for the rest, for the rest of their, their lives. lives. Yeah. So it is, at least on the surface, it speaks to the school situation. It speaks to her religious situation. Right, and it mm. speaks to a forbidden love, and it also speaks to a kind of a foreboding figure who gets in the way, and potentially punishment for the man. Mm. So there's a lot in the mix there. Yes. Very also good. very strange to be reading that on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Actively on the toilet. Yeah. Not just oh, like, yes, oh, I've passed my bowels, and I'm now going to annotate this passage. <laughs> he believes education should never stop. It's a lifelong pursuit. I think most educators would agree, at least I hope. Does it have to be with him? Sorry. <laughs> and the conversation steers, I'm making particular note of this because it's going to keep coming back. The conversation steers toward AJ. Carmela's anxieties about AJ. And she he puts her at ease. All our students matriculate. Carmela goes home, sees the picture of Tony with the fish, another cold fish, feels guilty, runs, gets the gun out of the... The fake column, the handgun, there's many guns in there, multiple, and uh, puts it under the pillow. She's nervous. More sensing of the danger. She also goes past AJ. She tiptoes past, past AJ's room as if she's the kid. Right, yeah, exactly. To avoid detection. And, of course, so much of this is her feeling, I think, this girlish kind of enthusiasm. Mm. Not necessarily immature, but, like, making her feel young again. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It's very interesting. Also, it is passionate. I, I don't think I've ever seen any sequence, certainly not one with Tony, where he's, like, kissing her all over her body and all that stuff. So it's a very... Um, it's powerful to see Edie Falco act that as a 40-ish woman mm. who hasn't experienced... Not that she's never experienced that, but has not experienced it in recent memory. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Tony B. taking his test, waiting for results. He's wondering what takes so long. They just have to spit it out. But the point is made. He's a certified massage therapist. He passed his test. Yay, congrats. 
and it's relayed to him in the most confusing way. Yes. Like, I couldn't tell from what the woman said yeah. if he had actually passed or not. Like, what a strange... The tone was, like, exactly the same as it would have been for failure. It's right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's very yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I like how unceremonious it is. It's very modern. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's great. We're, I'm only allowed to tell you that your score as meets or exceeds the state light. You know, all that. Ugh, God. But believable... Believable. If anyone's been to a DMV or any other kind of fucking place where licenses are issued, that's how it is. Yeah. Carmela's confession goes to Father Phil. Boy, boy, maybe time to find another church, Carm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's quite a few of them in New Jersey. Yeah, so she's confessing here. I had sex with that man. Comes right out with it. Knowing that feeling of passion again, I'm not sure I'll be able to make it go away. Carmela, I can't absolve you of a sin you're going to continue to commit. Right. Yes, this man uh, takes you to restaurants, he fulfills certain desires, but will he be here beyond the here and now? Be there for you when you're old and all that and whatnot. And she says, oh, and Tony will. And he, when she presses and presses, he gets to the point, Carmela, you took a vow. And that's it. That's the end of the subject. For your penance, I want you to do something kind for Tony. I'm not sure I can do that. Well, then pray. Not only that God will touch his heart, but yours as well. <laughs> Close the window. Ouch! Uh, it, big ouch. I Some of the advice is... Well, let me put it this way. Some of the advice there could be good. It could be good if... It could be good if Father Intentella, Father Phil, didn't have feelings of jealousy himself if he didn't have the ulterior motive of seeing Wegler as a rival for Carmela's affections against him, mm. right? Uh, Tony is absolutely in this picture, but uh, listen, Fatherville doesn't really care about Tony, no. right? And he's not defending the sanctity of marriage for marriage's own sake. Yeah. He's defending it for his sake because, in his mind, she deserves to be punished for not picking him. Mm-hmm. It seems, right? This is an episode that's fully informed by everything we already know about Father Phil leading up to this, which I think is what makes this episode interesting, is because even though it tells a smaller stories here, they're not fully self-contained to this episode. You actually need the history of Carmela and Father mm-hmm. Phil yeah. to understand at least that wedge Correct. in the writing of this episode. Yep. Good point. Tony B is uh, given Tony S. a tour of the future massage parlor, showing him where everything's going to be. He's very proud. This is a big moment for him. Tony makes a joke. There's a dog groomer next door in case you get hungry. Oh, God. <laughs> Tony is somewhat disappointed. I, I should say Tony Soprano seems somewhat disappointed that this is working out for Tony B, but he's he's doing his best to put on a face and be a good cousin. Kim's daughter shows up, a beautiful young woman, is talking about said Tony's making eyes immediately. He learned nothing from the previous episode. <laughs> yeah, well, they're all making eyes, except well, for Tony B. Yeah. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. Chris puts his foot in his mouth, coming in. You know, as a dog groomer next door in case anyone needs a snack. They made the joke twice. It's the most <laughs> obvious fucking joke you could make, and they both did it. Coys are taken care of. <laughs> uh, so... They're just shooting the shit here, and again, the racist jokes keep coming. She walks out, they stare at her, the camera pans down, stares at her ass from their perspective. Uh, what's she here for? Happy endings? <sighs> nice ass. You fucking guys, this is important to me. They keep their, their assing off, joking with each other. And Tony B has to reiterate, this is important to me. So on it goes. We'll come back to that. 
Carmella with Rosalie. Rosalie wants the juicy details. Carmella says he took his time. And uh, you're not getting away that easy. But then AJ comes home before she can get into the juice. This is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if, here's the thing. I'm not really around much of uh, Gen Z kids. But I imagine they don't use the kind of, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Do kids talk like uh, AJ talks like in the scene with the F word so much anymore? Probably not. That might have been a product of the early 2000s. Do kids say the F F A G word still? Is that no? I mean that word has. Well, I mean, if their dad talks the way that Tony does in this very episode, they might. Right. That's that's true. But that sure. But broadly speaking, I I I'm not around Gen Z kids nearly as much as Jordan, but I would assume not as much. Probably. Yeah. You're right. Um, I I'm I'm a. This is a big word, and when I, when I was I'm in high school, this the F word got thrown around. Quite I'm an a early lot. millennial, and I blush at times thinking of how often that word was thrown around when I was in high school and how often I Same. said it, how often I countenanced it. Same. Yeah. Yeah. That word, uh, the F slur, uh, that was, we all called each other that, I think, on a daily basis. Mm. Yeah. That was like a classic, like, on the bus, like, you F slur, yeah. you know. Yep. Uh, that word has now since been tabooed. Um, it has been, you know, the, the, the community really has expressed to us that that word should not be used. So I, I would say for the most part, my, my Gen Zers, my students, they don't really use it. And the ones that do tend to get in big trouble for it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's things have adjusted. And it's another one of these things like when, you know, Tony meets yeah. with Johnny Sack in front of Shea Stadium. Like, it's just something that kind sure. of marks the time. Right. You know, it was the time when you could say that word and it didn't mean exactly what it meant, you know. Though I guess, like like Paul said, if you following a father like this as example... Who knows what you say at home in the kitchen? That, that's also true too. But okay, so anyway, that interesting side conversation about that. I just it, it, the word is in this episode more than usual, so it just it dawned on me like you know I don't hear that word so often anymore. Uh, that was just just an interesting thing of the time. Just how I, it was way more common back then. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Mr. Wegler put his F word hand on my shoulder and said, "Do your best." She's just trying to get you to, into college, or maybe he's just a big, quote, homo, <laughs> AJ says. <laughs> yeah. It could be, Carmela says, with a kind of smile on her face. What is making them all think that? Uh, Well, he's not, first of all, in this sphere, he's not anyone's idea of a man. Uh, in this sphere. I, 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 most of the men in this room, I fancy intellectuals, so maybe... Maybe hardened gangsters in New Jersey would think we're all gay. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess it's the way he dresses. He dresses quite nice. Yeah. And he's an intellectual, and I guess that's enough. Those two things together, I guess that's it. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's also, there's an inferiority complex, I think, because he is very, Wegler is very smart, and Tony and A, Tony's very smart, but not book smart, and AJ is struggling, and uh, what else are you going to call him? Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I sure. don't know. Yeah, so, yeah. But, it, it, it has a fun irony to it because we know that he's banging Carmella. <laughs> right. <laughs> he walks off to do his homework, and Ro has a sad moment here. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, where she's, I like that they added this. This is a good just little like, hey, her son was shot still within a couple of years. Not that that would ever get better, but... Isn't this yet another example of the looming shadow of Tony in the episode? Of course, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. It's just everywhere he isn't, he is. Yeah. Mm. I was glad too that Carmela had Rosalie to talk to about everything with with Bob Wegler. Yeah, because she's not gonna. There's other people she's not gonna tell. Trying to talk to Father Phil about it goes nowhere. 
at least she's got one friend that that it's a lateral kind of discussion where they actually relate to each other. Right. Yep. 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 Cut to a very different scene with Tony B and his girl. Uh, I'm not. Do they? Is this a wife? Yeah, they got married, right? Yeah, Maybe. it's his wife. Yeah, it's his wife. Gwen. 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 Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't remember if they were like just a couple or if they got married, but I think they got married. A uh, car drives by, running from the. We hear sirens in the background. A screeching car. A bag goes out the window. And if any seasoned Sopranos viewer is watching this episode and didn't realize at this point that things were going to start going south, you're not paying attention. Things are going a little. Once you, no, no one, one gets, gets to a, be too happy for too long. No one gets a bag of twelve thousand dollars cash <laughs> by happenstance in the Sopranos and talks about how lucky they are, without things going south very shortly. Yeah, uh, but doubly I, blessed. Doubly blessed. Yeah, that's the last thing anyone on this show needs to have happen, or they're in big trouble. It's a learning curve. Well, it's about to be. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have, we have sort of multiple examples on the show of just like a windfall is cursed in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Any kind of unexpected money, any big win, any big business thing that's supposed to be very lucrative, it always kind of falls apart. Yep. Always brings the heat down in some way. Oh my God, is it a fetus? <laughs> what a line. Uh, it's crack and cash. Tony tosses the crack because he's, he's on parole there. Are you happy? There's probably another 20 grand of, of drugs in there, if not more. The, the money throughout was crazy. Uh, tosses drugs, keeps the cash, 10 to 12K. I'm going to buy you a ring. You should put it into the business. So smart. He's feeling great. Let's see what happens. Carmela's helping AJ with his Lord of the Flies paper. I like Lord of the Flies. I read it about AJ's age. I read this book. I think 10th grade I read it. I taught it for many years. Mm. Uh, pretty good book. I enjoy it. it I is, mean, it's, yeah. it's I been a, it's, it's been a while. More than anything, it's just nice to have the reference of Lord of the Flies to be able to refer to when mm-hmm. situations necessitate. And she's reading from a it looks like a book of cliff notes, and AJ is asleep. She has to knock him. AJ, wake up! Who's gonna do this paper? It's not gonna write itself. So we we'll see how that's going. We'll come back to it. And Tony B is at the casino with every, or maybe this is the room at the back of the Bing. He's keep getting the, all the drinks brought to him. Keep it coming. They're they're drinking Cristal. Mm. Twelve grand. Paulie asks how many guys you got to jerk off on a massage table to get that. And Tony B comes back right back with how many? I don't know. What do you charge without the table? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Tony B is always right there with with those one liners. He's he's awesome. They drink the Cristal and declare that anytime somebody steps into a pile of shit, we'll call it a blundetto. <laughs> That's funny, but a little ominous actually. Yeah. <laughs> More shit talk, by the way. Yeah. Carmela's making dinner, shaving a cucumber. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's a phallic. Yeah. phallic, yeah. Maria in West Side Story vibe, just on a cloud in that yeah, exactly. music that, well, the music that comes from a time frame when she was young. Exactly. Right? And then yep. Tony, like, emerges in the shadows behind mm-hmm. her, like, literally mm-hmm. in yeah, shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a quick little touchdown scene of her and, and Bob out having a sweet romantic dinner at a French restaurant, and they're laughing and enjoy. They're just two two lovers, and she's just, yeah, she's grinning. The song is called Over the Mountains. It's just, she's just, you know, up in the clouds. Her head is right there. And, yeah, Tony comes in. It's ominous. She scares the shit out of her. Uh, oh, what are you doing here? Jesus, nice greeting. <laughs> Hi, how are you? AJ left. Tony brings a paper. He left this at the house. It's a paper that Carmela looks at. It was written by someone else. 
Tony's poking through her shit since when do you eat duck? <laughs> Which uh, she doesn't answer. Yeah. <laughs> Brings up that it's a different person's paper, and then Tony says, especially the way he is with money. Oh, and then Carmilla's like, oh, you think he bought this? This is uh, something that, ha- I, 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 again, you know, people write papers and sell them, and, and, and this is a... Uh, this is a thing that happens. Of course, now uh, we have AI to do that. A chat, <laughs> chat GPT. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have uh, <laughs> we're gonna have uh, all those poor people who write other people's papers for money put out of work. This is unfair. So, come on, AI taking away more <laughs> valuable jobs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Wegler calls and is asking uh, is also very into Carmela and. Trying to get the dirty talk. What are you wearing? And mm. she's, uh, yeah. yeah, okay, Mr. Wiggler. All right. yeah, very, very funny. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It Good, is funny. Very, very funny stuff. Okay, I'll have him do that right right away. Yep. Uh, hangs up. And again with this F slur. What did that F word want? <sighs> Jesus, tell me. Maybe you're an F. <laughs> Everybody's gay. With, uh, maybe you're an F word. What, what, what makes him gay? Education? Culture? Sucking a guy's cock usually does it. Amazing. <laughs> what do you know about who sucks whose cock? What do you got, a secret? This is very funny banter between these two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Tony throws her Catholicism, which is particularly funny because she's so at odds with her Catholicism right now. But uh, what part of hell did you say they go to? Is there, Are they with the abortion doctors or the child molesters? <laughs> She says that was a long time ago, and Tony says, "Quote: Oh, so now you're all open-minded. You got a couple friends that are baloney smokers." <laughs> Terrible, unbelievable. This is the kind of dialogue that only two people of this generation who know each other very well could have. <laughs> and meanwhile, Tony's undressing, which we don't notice because they're in the middle of a heated. What are you doing? Going for a swim? It's very unusual. He's undressing here in this scene. But your clothes, your underpants, she fucking threw. She's just been taken out of her dream in every possible way. Yeah, also like marking his territory in kind of a way there. Yep, you know, yep, like, oh, yep. it's still my house. I can get naked in my own house. I can swim in my pool. Yep, and she looks out the window toward where she was, like, just dreaming a moment ago, and Tony <laughs> cannonballs. It's, it's just yeah. great. It's great. This is hilarious. Tony B. at the casino wearing a custom suit. Those shoes. Did you get a look at those shoes? Holy shit. Uh, this is not putting the money into the business. Okay, you buy yourself one nice suit, but, uh, oof, I mean, Matt Weiner, I mean, he wrote Mad Men, he's good at this stuff, but the, 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 the racially charged dialogue in this episode, the, so the comments and the F, and the F slurs, and the, This one's funny, too. Yeah, Pocahontas here is scalping us, Paulie says. Good oh my lord. god. <laughs> They're at the Indian Casino. Oh, man. But, yeah, this is, this is classic Matt Weiner dialogue. I mean, he's really yeah. good at this kind of shit. Yeah, I mean, that is what those guys would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, he's, he's losing the money, but it's still, it's like still a party. Yeah, yeah. But it seems like maybe this is also what the curse of the money was, was that it actually reintroduced him to the excesses and luxuriating of the gangster life. Look, it felt good to pass the test. It felt good to get out of the crime and you're you're fresh out of prison. You don't want to go back. But then you see, you remember what those suits look like and what the shoes felt like. like What that crystal tastes like. Mm -hmm. Giving a stack of money to a waitress saying, keep it coming and that not being a problem. It's the lifestyle. It's it's you can see it, even though he's losing at the table. Well, that's the thing too. He seems to have a pretty serious gambling problem. We've actually in the handful of times we've seen Tony B this season, he's at the gaming table a lot. 
other people have been staking him. Now he's in you know in it with his own money, which he's losing very fast. Yep. Carmel and Wegler are together again. They're getting passionate. They're laying down. They're getting ready to engage in the sex again. The sex. <laughs> but she's very distracted. She's worried. She just can't believe AJ's cheating. He always did his own work poorly, but it was always his. Poorly and late. Don't worry, Carm. He's a late bloomer. He's a lot like me. When I was a kid, yeah. I think he's fighting to keep pace. That Mr. Mr. That Mr. Fisk is crazy with the pressure. He's trying to calm her down. He's still kissing her between lines, and she's distracted. Again, the, they're in bed, and the conversation of AJ comes up. It's an, just important to note. They kiss for a few more minutes, lay back down, and she stops it. Sorry, I'm too. I'm too. I can't go. I can't do this. I'm too upset. What am I doing? I'm, and did you know, in the eyes of the church, I'm still married. And he's like scoffs the church. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and great uh, with Aaron yeah, delivery. Yeah, didn't expect that to come up. Yep, yep. She leaves out into the rainy night. Paulie's Cadillac pulls up to Kim's laundry. Uh, these guys, this is the kind of shit. This is why the gangster stuff is so alluring to Tony B. It's like. I want to go gamble all night with these guys, then pop at the Skyway Diner for some eggs, and then hit the sack for 14 hours. Like, that sounds like a hell of a time. Certainly better than working a 5 a.m. job at a laundry, you know? Yeah, yeah, where he has now just pulled an all-nighter, by the way. He's coming right from that game to work all day. Yep. And then go work on the store at night. Yes. Like, this is not... You can't do all these things. You no. gotta choose. Right. Mm. You can't be half a working man, either. Mm-hmm. Correct. Then we get the scene with Mr. Fisk. Uh, this is, I think, like the most interesting scene in the episode. I agree. Me. It is very good. It's this is a they very good job I, I like casting this. this guy, didn't they? They very did well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's like a young Dion for you. Ooh, I like that. Wegler shows up to ask it, to ask about him how he's doing. Asks how AJ's paper is. Oh, solidly below average, and talks about it being a D plus. Uh, is there any way we can edge this up into a C minus? Fisk says uh, it's a bit generous for 10% insight and 90% cliff notes. And uh, they talk a little bit about it, um, about the college, and anything lower than a C is going to fuck this kid up at Arizona State. And he drops this line, which is blunt, but the world needs ditch diggers too. <laughs> he does mm. not uh, have faith in AJ's college prospects. Uh, how's floating this kid a C- minus going to fuck things up around here? Puts the pressure on him. What do we think of all this? This is interesting, right? This, uh... Uh, I mean, again, as I said in the beginning of the episode, it's it's these scenes are common. Mm. Usually not this fraught, but uh, principals, vice principals will always be like, can you do something for this kid? Mm. And it's always framed like best thing for the child, but who knows what other outside interests they're nursing, right? Yeah. What I think is interesting about this scene and about this episode is in, in a moment you're going to illustrate the Fredo Corleone line. Yeah. That weirdly Carmela is like actually totally right about this guy we're of course thinking like oh of course she's just putting aj in the best possible light and aj is actually lazy and terrible and plagiarizing but it's actually one of those sopranos things where it's like it's they're both right they're it's mm. all true aj is lazy he is plagiarizing he doesn't deserve a better grade but also uh you know this fist guy is a cold fish uh, isn't bending for him at all, doesn't praise any level of achievement, no matter how much he tries, and also is prejudiced against him because he's Italian-American. His father's Tony Soprano. All those things are in play, and also Wegler is wrong to ask them to change the grade for the reason he's asking them to change the grade. Yeah. He might be a little bit more in the right if he was trying to soften a 
a, a stiff teacher who just grades a little bit too hard. He's trying to get him to reconsider his philosophy of education, but that's not why he's asking. He's asking on behalf of Carmela because Carmela is basically using him, okay, which he's going to be correct about in the in the subsequent scene. Yeah. And Strathairn does a great job, too, with the difficulty that Wiggler's going through. Yeah. He knows what Jordan's just been talking about, but he's... Um, and Fisk also does this great moment where, am I going to say something? And then he does, and it sends the the thought spiraling on Wiggler's part, I think. Yep, yeah. No, it was just the right and wrong thing to say. What does it mean to the kid who really busts his ass in here if Fredo Corleone gets a C because you asked? I, he's not wrong, but also... That is a tenured teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, is that what this is about, his background, which is... An accusation and a threat, and now he now, and I think this is why Wegler, rightly or wrongly, we're going to talk about it, finds himself so disgusted the next time we see him because she's she's got him acting like a gangster now, because it's like oh really is there a bias here? Threat. I brought you a pie. Exactly. Yeah. Tony's ethos even <clears throat> touches him. Yeah, yep. it's true. So he walks out. Message received, and we're coming back to, again, he, he probably has not slept, but uh, Tony B is with Jason and Justin. They're unwrapping Game Boy Advance, little time, there are little <laughs> moments in the season that really accentuate the time capsule for you video gamers out there. The Game Boy Advance was, was hot at this point. The kids were opening them up. He's uh, setting up this massage parlor. Uh, he pitches this romantic idea, maybe someday you work here over the summer work with your old man and they're like yeah okay whatever can we please (laughs) (laughs) who play our game boys and he makes them go do homework but then this is kind of a a sweet moment when he picks up the sledgehammer piques the kid's interest and has him come up stand up and start breaking through the wall with him uh but again this is all about to the wall is about to collapse on this whole thing Interesting wording here. Carmela shows up fast at, during the next Wiggler scene. I took a shortcut. That's a interesting phraseology here for character who's worried about her son taking shortcuts. They basically she she jumps his bones and they cut to again post 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 coitus. They're staring at the ceiling. She paint the ceiling. She's talking. Uh, Wiggler gets up. Notice he he doesn't break up with her before the sex though. Let's just well, let's, let's, he's a man, he's still a man. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Come on, but uh, he also wants what the dick wants. <laughs> he gets up, goes to the bathroom, comes back. She's again in bed talking about AJ, and he says, "I think we should take a timeout." What? Why? Uh, you know, when I think about putting. The arm on Tom Fisk. I want to step, poke my eyes out with a knitting needle. He says, "Shut up." <laughs> uh, and then he says, "I think you're a user, Carmilla. What? I enjoy being with you. You help people you're with. How is that using them? Oh, Bob, this hurts. He's making the point. Uh, and then he then he gets rude. Hmm. Then he says, "You strong arm me. Quote using the only weapon you have, your pussy." And Carmela, that's what sends her from hurt and shocked to angry. 
Yeah. How dare you talk to me like like that? And it's also language he doesn't usually use. This it's is not. More, this is no. Tony's language. Yeah. Right. Leaving me with a massive heart on the other night and then practically attacking me sexually after you got what you wanted. And Carmela has had it. You, you know, fuck you and getting dressed. I thought you cared about me. And then one last threat on her way out the door. You better watch your step. Uh, and look, I don't know, Wegler. I, I imagine he's going to have a few sleepless nights after this. Uh, you can't... I mean, I don't know how, what other way he thought this was going to go. But... Maybe. That last threat out the door is actually so beneath her. I felt bad that she had to feel like she had to resort to that. Yeah. I know. Well, it was all she had. It was the last defense she had. But I do want to talk about what, this. It's also what Tony does when honey doesn't work. Yeah. Is vinegar. You don't like the bribe, you'll get the threat. You'll get coercion. Exactly. And Carmella, what she's being accused of is in effect a bribe with a certain kind of currency. It frustrates her. She threatens him on the way out the door. If he weren't onto something, then why would they write the scene that way? Yes. It's deliberate. Mm -hmm. I want to simultaneously defend and accuse Carmela here. And this is why The Sopranos is so great, because I don't think it's either, and I think it's both. I don't think she's a user in the sense that her intention all this time was to use him i don't think she was thinking i'll sucker this guy in and get aj into a good school but her entire way of life as an adult tony was the first guy she was ever with her entire way of life in a relationship is was the transactional her relationship with tony was entirely transactional yes and so is it really con it's not may not be conscious using but on some level that's all she knows is I this, think the, I think you're right. My man is going to take care of this. I think at some level all relationships are transactional. And in this case, Carmela really doesn't it's not like she set out and right. twisted a twirling a mustache kind of vibe like I'm going to use this guy. She was smiling by herself in the mirror and it wasn't because she was getting AJ into school. I think she really felt those feelings. Mm -hmm. I think she really liked him. And I think she really felt like she had the rug pulled out from under her here. Yeah. Truly. I don't think she planned to use him the way Tony might plan to use somebody. But this is something innate in her, maybe even through little fault of her own, because this is just all she knows. Yeah. Well, and all AJ knows is a house where everybody swears, but you're still going to be held accountable. Right. So, yeah. I agree. I mean, she admits as much herself in this scene where she says, you know, uh, I, I forget the exact phrasing, but yeah... It, you know, he's helping her. What What's wrong with that, right? I, she doesn't see it as a bad thing, but he's not used to being used in that way, and you're totally right, Chris. That's that's what she is used to. Mm. She's used to use. I agree with Paul. I think all relationships are transactional in some degree. She's used to being more surface than most, mm. right? Most of us don't log the transactions between us and a significant other, right? She sees more of the cause and effect there, and for someone like him who doesn't come from that as normalcy it bothers him mm -hmm. i think he comes too hard at her in this scene agreed he could uh, have let this down more softly this could have played out much differently and if he didn't want to see her anymore there was a safer way to do this yeah i mean safer meaning to spare her feelings but also maybe his legs um <laughs> but uh he chose chose to go hard here and of course it reminds her of being sort of unable to escape tony mm -hmm. speaking of being unable to escape tony Tony B, we see him, uh, I don't know if this is the executive game or, or what here, but this is the room it's usually held in. Uh, he's blown through 
No, he hasn't blown through the whole 12K. He still has 400. <laughs> <sighs> Woof. Playing poker here. Lost it. Silvio cleaning up. Three fucking jacks. You keep jacking, my friend. <laughs> he's only got two more hours to sleep. Again, he's he's just threading the needle here as, as bare as it can get. Not even worth going home. He sacks out on the couch for an hour or two. Goes back into the laundry. He slips getting up the stairs. He's tired. He's crabby. It's He's wearing. still wearing his fancy shoes. Yes. Yep. Didn't have time to go home and change. Great shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cut to Tony later on. He's at the massage parlor. He's painting. He gets a call. He's rubbing his arm. His shoulder's sore. He's crabby. He's fucking exhausted. He's been going his like this. Is He's been going like this for days. The tables were delivered to the wrong address, which is the kind of shit that happens when you're starting a new business details he's got a headache this is a headache this shit the details he's he's expressing frustration she starts freaking out yelling at him i'm sick of his complaining and his gambling maybe i got a brain tumor uh, and and he just when kim comes in he just hangs up he doesn't doesn't keep listening he's, he's, he just hangs up kim comes in he likes the color the guy they had in there was a good plumber where is he he, he had to come back with a fucking part it wasn't so Tony's been here. He's been frustrated. They have this exchange where Tony B corrects his pronunciation of West Caldwell. West Caldwell. West Caldwell. He's just had enough of. When you're around people a lot, they're like a lot of their little things bug you about them, and that's <laughs> just one of those things. Like I can see why that might annoy him. Just somebody mis mispronouncing something like that, and he's just had the. He just didn't have the patience or the sleep. Yeah. To deal with it. And it's a far cry from him finding an identity in common with the immigrant. Correct. Yeah, now he's making fun. Yeah, now he's been completely exactly. frayed at the edges and yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, partner, we open in three days. Boom! Punch. And this is it. Kim's got a few moves. Kim Doe, yeah. Kim doesn't go down. Yeah. Kim, Kim's a tough motherfucker. Uh, I was so surprised by this. I really was. Yep. This fight. Tony B just again <laughs> it's it's this is a vicious scrappy fight there's two by fours and they go into the koi fountain and Tony B is just ranting and been in your fucking laundry all fucking day and pounding on him and and he's just at it this is it but the combination of the allure of the lifestyle wearing himself too thin seeing what he could be gaining and uh having the the, the bad luck at the tables it, sure. it just all it all culminated and uh, unfortunately, the crim the inner criminal one here, and uh, Tony's here too because he gave him the koi pond. Correct. That he almost kills Kim in. Yep. And and again, I don't. You know, this this might be a little. This this is like just on the nose enough, but the fish out of water imagery. Oh yes. Yeah. Very uh, good. Very very smart. And um, well, and as he straightens up, he twists his back. Yep. It seems like. And, like, at the very beginning of the episode, he was carrying these loads, so can't carry the load, no no backbone kind mm. of thing. Mm. Plus, now, ironically, he probably needs a massage. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was wondering, I was like, is this the guy that was always in there? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's my question about Tony B, and I, I, don't, I haven't seen the rest of the episodes to know this, but I'm like, who's the real Tony B? Is it the guy that was, like, striving and trying to be better, trying to get his masseur license and and gets it and tries to start this business and tries to live a new life and was the other guy always gonna win 
That's a fascinating question. You know what I mean? Like, is it, how long was that going to hold? Because now when this guy starts showing up, making fun of his uh, immigrant boss, getting violent, gambling, buying the, the shiny suit, I was like, okay, here's mm. the guy everybody was talking about. Yeah. Mm. Is this the guy that went away? Is he back? Is he back for good? Was he always here? Mm. Like the other storyline, is it maybe both guys? Right. Yeah. That two Tonys. There's like a war. Right. Yeah. It's sad. I, I, you know, my my analysis of this is, I think they're both him. It, it, to me, it's like, is an alcoholic really himself when he's using and abusing, or is the sober version really them? That's that's I, that's a question addicts sure. have struggled with forever. And there's a certain amount of that feeling here, like an addiction to the lifestyle. Uh, a constant pull. It's also one of these unfortunate situations where if he had just been a guy who was not affiliated with the North Jersey Mafia, who robbed somebody, committed a robbery, and went away for 15 years and came out, he couldn't afford to do what he did to Kim and go on. Right. He would have probably been arrested and thrown back in, or you know, he wouldn't have the allure of the lifestyle. The unfortunate reality is that because of his orbit around Tony, he knows that's waiting for him. Right. This might have worked out for him if he had just been an average Joe and he had been working toward it and getting out of prison and bettering his life. But because he knows that that lifestyle is always waiting for him and there's a part of his cousin that is wanting it to happen, yep. it's, a- it's able to happen. It's yep. like that's his safety net is, well, I can always go back to being a gangster. It is also amazing how close he gets to achieving his dream. Three days. He's three days away. Yeah. He just has to finish the paint and move some furniture in. Yep. I mean, he's right there. Yeah. Really amazing how that doesn't... I mean, Tony might as well have thrown that money out himself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah, almost as if the success itself, like, was the catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. That's why it's a good episode. Carmela in bed. She's down, depressed, crying. Father's fixing up. Uh, Hugh is fixing. Yeah, don't worry. Hugh, Hugh's got this. <laughs> fixing the door. Somebody must. Looks like somebody punched it. She punched mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Right? Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. She oh yeah. Makes like very upset. Uh, you know, if you had a man around the house, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and so forth. Well, there was somebody. You know, you know, he says, "You're you're a beautiful woman, Carm." You know, there's uh, no reason you can't move on with your life if that's what you want. And uh, she says, well, there was someone, but he was a wolf in sheep's clothing. No matter where I go or what I do, because I was married to a man like Tony, my motives will always be called into question. It's hard not to feel sorry for her here. This is uh, this is rough, and she's right. She's right. We saw this play out, and it, it is sad because we talked about it. She was kind of using him in one way but also i believe her emotions for him were genuine she's really hurt i agree this. i agree uh clearly and, clearly hurt and uh <laughs> there's a couple different ways to take this but hugh's only response is to stand up well and walks out has <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say to comfort his daughter he's not look i mean look who he's married to he's not uh, he can't communicate with his wife unless he's exploding in anger and, uh, uh, <laughs> and also, I don't know, I, th- I think maybe I'm reading this wrong. Maybe this is a performance choice or maybe I'm just interpreting it wrong. But I think there's almost 
a part of the father that wants to say something unproductive there, which is like, there's almost an unspoken I told you so kind of mm. energy here. Yeah. Like maybe Hugh back in the day was not wild about his daughter getting with Tony Soprano and right, she did anyway. And Hugh is, you know, maybe doesn't want to say what he's thinking. He certainly strikes me as the kind of guy who subscribes to that. If he has nothing positive to contribute, he might as well just not say anything. So yeah. I think look, that's why he chooses just to not, to not say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, again, we've met his wife. Uh, <laughs> we've seen how they operate together. Tony B walks in, and uh, I think Tony Soprano comes off terribly in this scene. I know he comes off terribly frequently, but to me, and again, I could I could be reading it. I think Tony knows exactly what happened and what Tony B is here for, and is just kind of enjoying the moment. Not only for selfish reasons, because he now gets his claws back in Tony B and gets to assuage his own guilt over what happened there, but again, another "I told you so," an unspoken "I told you so." Hmm. Uh, here's the thing, you need somebody to run the swag airbags. Tony asks him several times what happened, and then no answer, but Tony, uh, has like a, a weird knowing smirk, smugness to him. a little smile yeah, before the end, yeah. exactly. And Tony B comes in in that same outfit, looks like the custom-made suit, but it's looking a little ratty. Yeah. Mm. Yep, yep. As is his, his movement is a little, still on his back, probably. Yep. Uh, so we get the feeling that Tony's going to set him up, but this is, uh, unfortunately, it looks at this point like Tony B is going to be yet another tragic tale in the, in the North Jersey mob. He was so close. He was three days away. Tony gives our last line. It's tough doing business with strangers. That's the case for both Tony B and Carmela. There are, is no getting away. Tony is the magnetic force at the center of this universe, and he casts a large shadow. His gravity well is huge. He marks his territory, and that's it. There's, it's very hard to get away from this magnet. And uh, so ends Sentimental Education. Final thoughts on this last scene and the episode proper. Yeah, uh, I titled this one, or we titled this one, Abelard and Heloise. I'm sorry, we titled it Abelard and Eloise, because that is what Carmela believes the title is. Mm. Uh, she's corrected by um, Wegler to the correct title, Abelard and Heloise. And Father Phil also corrects her. I believe or, or it's they Helo- both correct her? I believe it's Heloise. Oh, I'm sorry, he's the one who corrects her. Okay. Yeah, right. No, but he, they both do. Both the men correct Both correct her. her. Um, of course, this is going to recall the earlier episode, Eloise, right? Which was an episode that was largely about... Carmela struggling with this idea that Meadow is living the life that maybe she would like to live, a freer life, a life on her own, a life of independence. Now, Carmela, years later, is getting to live a little bit of that freer, independent life. But yeah, she's going out there and experiencing this life with strangers for the first time, but she's not totally divorced from her former life. Uh, She's not totally divorced from Tony. Uh, she's not divorced from the consequences of being with another man with Tony still in the picture, right? So, uh, yeah, to Father Phil's point, it ends badly, right? Um, to, uh, you know, this kind of point that's being insinuated in terms of uh, her even finding this work of literature in uh, Wegler's home to begin with. It is something kind of just beyond her understanding. Uh, and the only thing she gets of it is that it's a love story that ends badly. So here she is, amidst her independence... Oh, at last I'm Eloise. No, you're Heloise. You're you're mistaken. This story's already been written, and it doesn't end well. 
Mm. I'm not doing better than that. I would only add that um, they took uh, the one Flaubert book is uh, Madame Bovary. Yeah. But another one of his books is called Sentimental Education, which is the name of this episode. And a lot of it is about it's about a young man going out in the world. As I understand, I haven't read the book, but in his idealism, going through uh, these romances, but coming to understand that a lot of the romantic views that he had of this world outside, they don't add up because the real world is harsh and cold and mean. Sure. And that is, in essence, I think what both Tony B. and Carmela experience in going out in the world is that there's also cold and mean stuff out there. And also they have to face, or I think actually we as the audience really have to face some of their own personal failings. That challenging stuff about these richly complex characters, Sopranos just nails every time. This is good stuff. Uh, season five, man, we're racing toward uh, toward the toward the end already. These first six of season five have made me very happy. I'm sorry that this one seems to be uh, not a fan favorite so much, but you know, look, here's the thing. We've talked about this. The worst episodes of The Sopranos are still at the very minimum, if you like them or not. And we've had some disagreements about that. I think Jordan was not a big fan of Hit as a Hit, but still agreed it was an entertaining hour. <laughs> still good. Right, so if you're going to do a, a fucking top 86 episode ranking of the show, there's going to be some on the bottom, but those on the bottom are going to be very good. But you know what? For the first kind of slowdown in season five, I liked this a lot better than I remember liking it. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed these stories of these people trying to pull out of Tony's orbit and uh, not quite getting there and dealing with the mistrust cast upon them because of their past choices and their past commitments. Good hour of TV. Thank you, Sopranos. Thank you, Matt Weiner. And Peter Bogdanovich, our very dear, uh, our very unfortunately departed uh, friend, Peter Bogdanovich, who plays uh, Elliot Kupferberg. But uh, anyway, great hour. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hughes. And we'll be back next time with In Camelot. Another fascinating, slower, but uh, weird and fun hour of The Sopranos. I can't wait to cover it. We'll see you next time. To the Blue Ditto. Blue Ditto. I got myself a gun.